Welcome to Generative Leaders. If you want to know about the mother of creation that's behind all generative leadership in solving the biggest problems in the world, this podcast is for you. This week, I'm in conversation with Mara Gleason, the founder of One Solution that is looking to solve the world's biggest problems. I started this podcast because I kept having these amazing conversations and thought if one person could hear this and it changed something in them and they had one thought that was different as a result, then that's worthwhile. That's a worthwhile endeavor. So um, what are you up to in the world? Because I haven't heard that for a long time too. So I'm really interested in kind of like, where is, where is the, the Mara story now? Oh my gosh. It's very much in a phase of redefinition, I would say, actually. So it's funny because um, even that question seems a little bit hard to answer right now. I was very fortunate in that I kind of found my, what I would call calling or life's passion pretty early on. Like I I was already in my dream job pretty much right out of grad school. Um, So throughout my 20s and half of my 30s, I was really living a career that I was totally in love with because I felt like I was making a difference in the world. It it inspired me. It constantly taught me, completely changed the way I saw the world in, in the most beautiful ways. But then three and a half years ago, I had my first child, my son, Teo. And then a year and a half ago, I had my daughter, Ella. And a month after I had my son, Um, I lost my sister and her two small children. So there was really something about this crazy combination of life and death that happened simultaneously that like, I don't want to say rips me out of my career. I mean, it practically kind of did for a while, for sure. But it blew open my whole idea of what I was up to in the world too, which was really interesting. So that's why I say like, I feel like here today, if you had interviewed me four years ago, I would have a very different answer for that than I have today. Um, because the story of Mara is very much kind of being rewritten right now. Um, but I have always been really interested in my participation in the state of the world. Like ever since I was a child, I remember being a deeply feeling kid I had a boyfriend in college who said I had a bleeding heart. Whatever term you want, an empath, whatever term you want to give it. And the upside of that, like, I love being in community, being with people, being connected. And I'm really curious about how we participate with each other and with the natural world. So that's always been a part of me. And the fact that I kind of stumbled into this career where... The short version, I'll call it, is like seeing the relationship between humans' state of consciousness or state of mind and what we're up to in the world. So I, by very good fortune of something very cool that happened to my father when I was growing up, he had gone through this business training that really fundamentally changed him as a person and a father. And that introduced me to a practice out in Washington State that was doing really interesting, innovative work around helping business leaders shift their state of mind so that they could be better business leaders. But what I experienced as his child was I got a completely different father out of it because you can't change 
someone's mind and just change a part of them. You change all of them and what they're up to. So because I had seen that and because I was very curious about that, like I said, all my life, I just, um, when I was in college studying psychology, I called my dad one day and said, can you put me in touch with that practice that you went to and worked with in Washington? Because I was beginning to get the sinking sensation that psychology was a little more, um, in my words, kind of label, diagnosis, illness, medical model focused than my heart wanted to be. So I remember looking at my schedule one day, like halfway through my major and every the name of all of my classes were just mental disorders. <laughs> I just had this had this moment of being like, eh, I don't think this is going to be my thing. I just, this is the way I want to like look at the human condition and the human potential. So long story short, I went and did an internship with that practice in Washington State. And that led to me just falling in love with how to help people quickly gain insight into the source of their experience. Like, why do I feel stressed when I feel stressed? Why do I feel slow when I feel slow? Like, where are these feelings coming from? And how do I get more of what's working for me and less of what's not? And I saw that happen really quickly for people when I interned. And I got really hopeful and excited about the potential for not only humans to change their quality of life, like the the overall well-being and the feelings that they walked around in, but how immediately that seemed to translate to their ability to solve their problems, to innovate, to lead businesses differently, to be a different father, and all of the above and everything in between. So I ended up getting hired by that company. I stayed with them for about 10 years. And then I, I ended up going off on my own and starting a company with a colleague of mine there, Aaron Turner. He and I left and we started a company in New York and London called One Thought. And the sole purpose was to try to help more leaders of organizations learn about the potential to transform their own state of mind on a sustainable go forward basis, but also how that translated to the culture and output of their companies. And additionally, we also trained practitioners, so people who wanted to do what we do. But at a certain point in that journey, which was really fun, and I was flying all over the world and and working with really cool companies and meeting beautiful humans, I met my now husband at the time. He was also involved in this work. And through, you know, kind of the process of dating and getting to know each other, you know, he kind of uncovered this bleeding heart in me, I ended up ultimately going and getting master's in social work. So I I dropped the psych major. I went for social work because at the school I was at, and then later I got my MSW at Columbia, what attracted me was like the grassroots in the community involvement that your learning entailed. So I love the idea of like being in the field, working with humans, working with some of the more underserved populations in society. And looking at it from a strengths-based perspective, that was something interesting about social work that I later saw in the the work that I did with the internship and then working with business leaders. It's like, it is so profoundly helpful to look at a human from the perspective of you already have everything you need inside of you. I'm just going to help shine a light on it for you. So that wasn't built into the social work curriculum that I, I went through at Columbia, but 
anyway, my, my now husband and I were having a conversation and I had been loving working with businesses, but I did feel like there was this piece of my heart that wasn't fully doing what I wanted to be doing in the world, which was to not just be helping the people who had access to things like leadership trainings and consultants because they worked at companies with big budgets and things like that. But I really wanted to look at how do we help the people that are trying to solve the refugee crisis or end war or more rapidly address the climate crisis? Because I saw that helping people shift from the inside out and change their state of mind made them solve any problem they were up against more rapidly. And I really wanted to apply that accelerant to issues that spoke more to the social worker in my heart. And so that was when my husband and I decided, this sort of accidental, it started with a conference, but to eventually launch a nonprofit called One Solution Foundation, where we are exploring the link between how do you help humans have a shift in consciousness or a jump in resilience and well-being in order to more rapidly solve the greater challenges of our time, things like gun violence here in Southside Chicago, where we're based, or inequality, poverty, racism. There's a lot of different things that we've done with it, but it's all all comes back to what are we doing to help shift minds so we can make progress on those problems more quickly. So that was my career up until about four years ago. And then as I said, I the only thing I would say is experiencing death and the birth of my children really brought it all home. And I'd actually be fascinated to hear, because I know you're a mother as well, and you're a little bit um, further down that path than I am. But I really, you know, I've heard people talk about this, but it's one of those classic things that I don't think you can fully appreciate it till you're in it. It's like activism starts at home. Your ability to make any contribution in the world, if you can't do it starting with yourself or starting with the little people in your immediate surroundings, means nothing. Like it really, you can talk a good game, you can go out there and try to make an impact in the world, but you, in my experience in the last few years, I've really become so humbled and such a student of of how to do that with my grieving brother or how to do that with my tantruming three-year-old or how to do that in a household with underslept parents and whiny, cranky kids. So so I've just been on a very, I think like I went from having this kind of global focus to having this very micro familial focus. And I am still doing the work with One Solution, the nonprofit. And so I really had to reorganize my priorities of like my ability to do anything beyond myself or beyond my children. It has to come from the well-being full here first. I think that's such a a, a great pl- place to start the conversation, Mara, because it, you know, it is, isn't it? It's, you know, if you're not as a leader, whatever you're trying to do in the world, if you're not taking care of yourself and your family and your own well-being, you're pretty much useless to anybody else. And I sort of I hadn't made the link how, you know, we've talked about before, like how parallel our lives have been in many, in many ways. And and you kind of always say, Yeah, you're you're like 15 years ahead of me. But you know, having your your sister and her children taken away, you know, in that tragic accident that that happened, and 
I had a similar experience last year of my cousin being taken very quickly from from this earth and her children witnessing her being taken and then dealing with a, a grieving aunt and uncle and and cousin and you know husband that was left who was away skiing at the time and being humbled by life wanting to continue to live and also the acknowledgement of the human condition being finite um, in this particular form and you know seeing that dance between the form and the formless over and over again and really being being present to that in a way that you know much like when you have small children you, you you can't imagine what it's like you can't imagine what grief is like unless you've been really present to it and you know for me it was one of those I really didn't want to be present to it you know it was like I just don't want to be present to this at all but then in being present to it just learned so much about about life in death so you know I'm sure we could talk for hours about about that but it's kind of not the topic of our discussion but I think it's a a a really big backdrop to you know what what is generative leadership you know what how does it start at home how does it start with you know the fact that we are a human being there are all these experiences being thrown our way in every single moment and we never know what somebody's going through in any given moment on the inside yeah it's funny I I was thinking when you shared the title of the podcast, your podcast with me, Generative Leadership, I was thinking about what that means to me. And actually, I would say I have learned a lot about that through the experiences of grief and motherhood. Um, And I, I, like I said, I had spent 18 years of a career working with leaders, and I think I've learned the most about it, actually, (laughs) from grief and motherhood, not, you know, typical what we think of as business leaders, you know, in a company type thing, but, but there's absolute applicability there. Um, And I, and I, I worked with a company in in the end of November and I was actually really excited to do another leadership retreat with the executive team of this company after having gone through these things, because I do see leadership differently in a very helpful way, I think. And I think they thought so too. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I love the word generative because it points to the life force that there's an energy that creates. You just want to put it simply that the life force, which is coursing through everything, me, you, the tree I'm looking at out this window, the air that's I can't see, but I know is there because I'm breathing it, that there's energy in, on this planet, in life, in the universe, whatever you want to call it. You know, my my um, my closest mom from here is actually the head of the physics department at University of Chicago. So she could actually probably explain what I'm talking about on a science level, but I'm just talking on a human level, is that we know that there is a life force living us. And we can either work with that by understanding it, being students of it, being open to it, or we can work against it. 
And I think as a form of leadership, it's incredibly powerful and empowering to the people who work around you or live in the house with you to operate from a space of going with the life force instead of going against it. And to maybe like bring that down to more practical terms is that everyone is doing things that kind of honor their um, natural energy flows and rhythms throughout the day. Sometimes we grind through and really all we need to do is like get up and stretch or maybe take a five minute walk or stop and have a meal. Like the number of things that people do to ignore their own biology throughout a day is astounding. And actually, that's what I love about motherhood is it slowed me the F down to make me really see and feel those things so much more profoundly than I ever had before. Like, oh, I should rest now. Oh, I should eat now. But I know that sounds ridiculous, but most of us are operating on such a high gear all the time and we're so consumed and distracted by information in the external and also overthinking in the internal, that those basic biological little nudges are completely ignored or muffled, like we cannot hear them. So that's like an example of going with the life force, like actually paying attention to the nudges of your biology in a way that makes you so much more efficient and energized because when you listen to those things and honor them, then you get more out of yourself than the opposite, which we think of just like blow right by them, ignore them, have another cup of coffee, drink an energy drink, stay on your computer, stay up late. All that crap that people have normalized is making us sick and unproductive and unhappy. So that's one way of kind of going with the life force as opposed to against it. The other is mentally that there's this amazing capacity. I know you talk about this in your work for people to experience states of clarity of mind or flow or insight. If they understand how they're using their mind, like are they using their mind in a way that goes with the energy of life or in a way that goes against it? And Simple examples of this are just overthinking and overanalyzing a problem because you're insecure and stressed. This idea of like, well, if I just stay up until 2 a.m. worrying about it, I'll get an answer. And you and I both know that's not where answers come from. It's not by adding more thinking to the equation. There's this magical innate capacity that's built into life, which is clarity, answers, insight, good ideas that come when people similarly to the biological listen to the nudges that say, hey, you know what, let that go or walk away or get a good night's rest and look at it in the morning. There's like a million and one things that we could be paying attention to that many of us, particularly in the business world or in leadership positions, are not paying attention to either out of a habit of overworking and overdoing all the time Um, and insecurity. Like we don't want to look like we don't know. So it's just staying on and appearing to have answers all the time or surely just a lot of leaders is just, it's never been pointed out to them that there is another way. Stress and grind have been kind of heralded as this like 
way to get ahead and be super successful. And, and really it's, it, it might have a short term upside, but ultimately it's not sustainable. And I think it's very evident in, in culture and society today that it has a massive downside long-term. So generative leadership to me is going with the life force. And when you do that for yourself, everything is nicer for you and for those around you. You behave differently. You talk differently. You have different ideas and therefore you lead differently. And I will say motherhood slowed me down big time and made me way more attuned to those nudges, specifically on the biological level with motherhood. But grief, interestingly, was the most profound experience I've ever had. And this is what I called it as living without the untruths on my mind. And I call them untruths because lies feels too strong. Like it wasn't intentional, but there's an enormous amount of bullshit in the human thought system that just parades around in our head 24-7. Like, got to get that email out. Or how did I seem in that meeting? Or someone asks you for an update. And rather than give an update, you give what you think sounds like a good update or what you think that person wants to hear based on your relationship then. Like, is this a coworker? Is this your spouse? Is this your parent? Like the constant kind of like negotiating and reshuffling of information to sort of serve our egos and this busier version of existence. And when I got the call that my brother had lost his wife and his two-year-old and his four-month-old in a horrible car crash, I flew out to California the next morning with my newborn in tow and my husband. And I arrived and I had, I would say, close to a three, four-week period of experiencing the energy of life in its rawest form. Because the parade of bullshit didn't matter. Like, not even close. So the things I would normally entertain without even realizing I was entertaining them were just not allowed on my mind. They just didn't have a place. They were so out of place that it was just like I had this experience of like it totally cleared the decks. And what amazed me, and when I talk to leaders of companies now that are like, well, you know, things are just so unknown or the company's changing all the time and, you know, people are uncomfortable with the uncertainty. It's like, I remember my sister and I saying to each other, I have no idea how to do this. How does anyone do something this awful? Like, how do we get through something this tragic and this traumatic and this awful, how do we help our brother get through this? He just lost his family in an instant. Like, how do you help someone navigate something like that? And I just knew we don't know what life is going to show us. And that was why the decks were clear. That was why none of the stuff that is normally given attention was allowed any attention. It was like, we need to listen to life and nothing else right now. And it was amazing how simple it was. It was like each moment was almost served on a platter. Like, okay, here's what you need to do now. Okay, here's what you need to do now. Okay, here's what you need to do now. And I never experienced life that clean. (laughs) It's normally like, well, here's what I think I need to do now. And then I'm going to 
maybe do this other thing. Well, should I do that thing? Is that best? Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like this ego of Mara that normally has a lot of opinions about things. It's just like makes everything so much more complicated. And those few months in the immediate aftermath of losing Vanessa and the kids was like the most profound experience of life showing me what to do almost hour by hour. And I knew no point going any further than that next hour. Because the second we went a few months out, then we got, oh, it's almost Christmas. Oh, fuck, how are we going to do Christmas? Or, you know, or a year from now. Like, it was like, nope, you just keep it to what needs to happen in this hour. And, and, and my brother will say, he's been interviewed on quite a few podcasts, actually, by, you know, various different people of influence or celebrities that have lost people and have podcasts about grief. And when they ask, like, how did you do it? How did you survive losing your entire family? He says, I didn't. Life just showed me how. And I learned very early on that if I got out of the way, and there were certain things he learned got in the way, like drinking alcohol. (laughs) But if he got out of the way, there was this generative force that was going to move him toward healing. And it did. And he's doing, I mean, three and a half years ago, he's doing extremely well considering what he's been through. It's so interesting, isn't it, Mara? Because it's like any constructs of how we think your brother should be, given what he's been through, is made up bullshit too. And that's what we do to other people, don't we? We 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 sit there and we say, well, you know, given what's happened, this is how they're going to be. And it's just an imagined, projected BS, blah, blah, blah. It's also not fixed. It's living. You know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a living process. We are all a living process that is constantly in change, constantly in flux, constantly in relationship with that generative force that's living through us, that's serving up whatever it's serving up in that moment. And you kind of touched on these big problems that we have of our time. And they're all essentially problems that could kill human beings. (laughs) You know, it's like Mother Nature doesn't really care. She's like, well, you pesky people are causing all these problems. And I keep trying to wake you up by creating problems that could kill you. But if you start getting in harmony with me, I'm actually going to give you the answers, you know, and it's, it's sort of like on a micro level, your brother had that cataclysm of his world and his world collapsing in on itself. And mother nature provided everything that was needed for him to, you know, for life to, to, to keep living. And, you know, my, my cousin's husband he he wrote in in this blog and and kind of like the end of his blog was you know life just wants to keep living that's it it's as simple as that and so you know you can either get in the way of that or you can get out the way and what's produced as a result is incredible it's pretty mind-blowing and I, I think you know when I read about regenerative agriculture for example as a you know concerned citizen about state of the environment, I'm so blown away by how much life wants to live. 
and how quickly it will rebound given the opportunity. And I think that's the only thing that makes me not hopeless about the state of the environment. Is I'm like, well, thankfully, it's amazingly capable and resilient given the right conditions. Now, we all need to like get our shit together around the conditions and like fast, but it's pretty mind blowing how quickly a decimated ecosystem will bounce back with going with the life force being, you know, implemented in the ways that it is interacted with. So a a year ago, my son was in hospital with a collapsed lung and, you know, it was a pretty dire situation. And I really genned up on, you know, the science and what happens in the body and, you know, all of this kind of stuff and the process and where we were in the process. And I, I spoke to the doctor and I was like, so we're at this point in the process and I'm guessing this is what needs to happen next. And he kind of looked at me and he was like, oh my God, you know, more pe- more than most doctors in this hospital about this condition. I'm really impressed. Now let me let you into a secret. And I said, okay. And he went, our job is to get out of the way of the miraculous nature of the human body and create the conditions where it can regenerate and thrive. So that's all we're doing. And I was like, wow, if all of us human beings got out of the way of this generative life force that is the mother, literally the mother of creation, everything would be fine. No, and I do. I I see that and I see it in healthcare. Like, I love that you had a doctor that said that. That is so cool. I'm like, where'd you find that doctor? (laughs) Because, yeah, it looks to me like it's, you know, when we named our nonprofit One Solution, we, we, we were talking about that capacity. Now, not in exactly the words we're saying now, but it fits. It is exactly that. It's that I love what you said, the, the, the life force is literally the mother of creation. All things come from there. And there is an ability for us to not just learn about it, but surrender to it. You know, if you look at human evolution, like I want to get out of my um, my wheelhouse here, but like in my opinion, my feeling about things is that you sort of look at the evolution of the species. We had to go through a period of enormous growth of our intellect and our technological skills. Now, you know, we need to surrender, like take all that we've learned, but sort of surrender back to a more humble state where we can be informed by the ultimate mother of intelligence and creation and learn from it, whatever you want to call it for a little while. Cause I think we've gotten a little over obsessed with our analytical, intellectual information oriented mind, but humans have both. We all know we have both. We have had profound experiences of both. It's just become a bit imbalanced. Well, I, I think it's really funny though, isn't it? Because it's like, well, what created that intellect? What created that ability to learn all of that? And, you know, we've sort of become so obsessed with our own knowledge and everything that's known and how we can know more 
that we've forgotten about what actually enables that capacity to exist in the very first place. And that machines do not have access to that capacity. They just don't, which is, you know, why humans can thrive and come up with new solutions that have never been thought of before because they have this capacity that comes before what's known. It's, you know, in the, in the unknown. So I'd, I'd love to share with the listeners some of the stories that you shared with me and some of the people that you've met in terms of that that ultimate mother of creation really having practical, profound effects on gun violence, for example, in Southside Chicago and and the the generative nature that that has created in that in that community. I'd love to hear you talk about that and how you see it now in this moment, as maybe opposed to when we last talked about it three, four years ago. Well. I don't know that I would say much different than the last time we talked about it, other than that I'm very interested in collective holistic participation on any issue. So we've been learning a lot about partnerships and how to look at community change through the lens of getting very different people from different walks of life that maybe affect very different parts of the web because there's a web behind any problem. People who say guns are the issues, no people are the issues, no poverty is the issue. Like, no, they're all, it's all interconnected. They're all part of the problem, but they all need to be part of the solution. So I would say the biggest thing that we've had a lot of learning around in the last few years is about partnering and and partnering with the young people who are suffering in a lot of the gun violence is younger people. And it speaks to a mental health crisis. It speaks to an inequality and racism crisis in this country, in this city. Um, But also, you know, how are local businesses potentially playing into that or how are political leaders or yeah, civil servants of any kind, like what's their role and, and how, how can we all be coming together and looking to generate fresh ideas and fresh solutions like you just talked about, like not from our intellect and all. I mean, yes, data is helpful. It's great to understand the nuances of an issue, but our particular area of emphasis is how do we help people learn about their innate resilience and well-being so that they can literally see solutions, that they begin to live from a solution-oriented space in a way that they didn't before. And all of those different players I just mentioned are a part of moving the needle on that. So we haven't moved the needle on any sort of large-scale numbers kind of way. We have a long way to go with that. But we have, in terms of the immediate lives of the people that we work with, we can see like, oh, that's a person that has literally said, had I not been through this experience with you all and learned what I learned about myself and my resilience and my well-being, I would have been out there either doing the violence or being a victim of the violence. Like I get frustrated because it's not the, the numbers I would like to see yet, but it's of the depth 
that I would like to see. So, so people who, and, and really it's, there's a couple individuals in particular that we worked with that just, if you had to live one day and the amount of kind of chaos and instability that is their environment, their home environment, their neighborhood, it would be hard to maintain your balance. It would, it would be hard to continue to take the high road or to not get desperate. Um, and to not do certain things out of desperation. So I am literally in awe, in total awe of some of the people that we work closely with who have continued to stay alive and stay safe and not end up in jail given what they're confronted with every single day. And Mara, I'm, you know, I'm so in your in awe of you and Edit because, you know, you're too very attractive. I know we're on a podcast, but, you know, very attractive white uh, people and, um, you know, that you went into a neighborhood that was not welcoming of people that looked like you. And you said something that touched the lives of some very angry young men that had the potential to create a lot of destruction, but through what they heard from you have fundamentally changed, turned their lives around and are now teaching other people what they learned, which has this butterfly effect that you may never see in your lifetime, <laughs> but has deeply changed the lives of those people and gone on. And, you know, I'd love to hear Dajon was that person. And, you know, I, I got to meet him and um, I, I, I got to have a, a conversation with him. And I, I'd love you to share with the listeners a little bit of, of your story with Dajon and, and what's happened kind of subsequently to, to that. Well, I mean, the amazing, yeah, the amazing thing about Dajon and, and hundreds of other young men that I've had the amazing fortune to spend time with in the last few years here in Chicago is that actually when you get to know them, they want such a same thing that any human wants is they want the ability to thrive. They want to have a nice life. They want to enjoy themselves and they don't want to live in constant fear and stress and anxiety. I have never met a human that wasn't like, yes, those are all of the things I want. But even more than that, what I was amazed by in getting to know Dejan, for example, after we randomly met at that peace summit at his high school in Chicago back in 2017, was that not only did he want those things, but he has a passion. He's an entrepreneur at, at heart, and he has an activist spirit. Like He wants to do as much for his community as possible. And if he knew how to have that be something that, as he says, put more smiles upon people's faces. That's like all he wants to do is I just want to bring smiles to people's faces. I just wasn't sure how to do that. It's like the, the only sort of role models in his immediate line of sight were people who did that through money, often in illegal ways. It's like, oh, I made you smile because I got you, you could earn this money by going and doing this thing or basketball players, or rappers. Like those, those are the people that, you know, brought something to his community that he saw. So this idea that he 
stumbled upon something in himself that was already there because he played basketball, but he'd come to the realization he was probably not going to be in the NBA. (laughs) So the fact that in working with us, he was able to discover that he had this incredible gift, which was his own mind that when opened and when expanded, just burst forth with insight and compassion and love and really understanding of the greater working of things. Like he gets now how every system is interconnected and that we are all just one piece of this massive energy. And that the ideas that we have that keep us living in the illusion of separation and conflict, which leads to violence, are totally made up in our minds. And he says all the time now, we created these problems so we can uncreate it. Like we made this shit up so we could make up a whole different world. And he sees that like in my mind, people who, you know, listen to, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh or Sadhguru or the Dalai Lama, like you listen to Dejan and he's just as profound and he's saying the same exact stuff. But in language that resonates with his peer group and with his community, and that's what I've learned so much about is look, this This potential and understanding lies in every single human being. I know that without a shadow of a doubt now. And given the opportunity to discover it, they unleash it, but they unleash it in their way that resonates with their immediate surroundings. So that butterfly effect you mentioned is really only possible when you connect with people in communities and you help the people in the communities find this voice in themselves. And then they speak it. It's like, to your point, Adik, my Norwegian husband from northern Norway, was not going to come and necessarily resonate with Southside Chicagoans immediately, but Dejan does. And so it's really been super cool to see him have such an impact. And I'll share a story. This is one of those days where I was like, oh my God, this makes me so happy. But Dejan and Prince, who now run the Rebels for Peace, which is our youth program. And the reason they came up with the name again, they, because it matters that it's their language and their ability to connect with their communities. Rebels for Peace is the youth-led arm of what One Solution does. And they're rebelling against the idea that violence must be met with violence and that retaliation is written into the code of their society. That's what they're rebelling against. So it's the Rebels for Peace. That's their name. They have these super cool logo that they came up with and t-shirts and they, you know, give the kids the t-shirts and the wristbands and stuff. And so, and I say the kids because so they now teach essentially a curriculum based on what they've learned about the mind, a social emotional learning curriculum. Um, We partnered with Spark, if you know the Spark uh, curriculum. Um, So we train all of the Rebels for Peace youth facilitators in the social emotional learning curriculum, and they go in and they teach fourth through eighth graders in a 13-week program about their mind and their source of well-being and their resilience and all the applications of that, you know, how that helps them not have to respond to violence with violence, how that helps them with their self-esteem, how that helps them deal with very unstable home environments. So they, there's infinite applications of that that get brought up over the 13 weeks. But there was one, one day last year where one of the middle schools that they were working with 
called them on one of their off days. They'd usually be in the school like two days a week. And it was one of their off days. And they called and they said, hey, can you guys come in today? Can the Rebels for Peace come in today? I know you don't have an officially scheduled class, but there's a, a, a conflict. There's a fight breaking out amongst these two different groups of students. And we've tried to solve it and we haven't gotten anywhere and it's escalating and we're worried that there's going to be violence. Can you come in and talk to them? Because we, we know that they listen to you. And so they did. They went into the school and they were able to talk to the kids and they de-escalated it. And it was such a powerful moment to see that like the principals of the schools were like, we don't know what to do about this, but we know these guys will. So let's call them in. (laughs) Here are these people that have like masters in education and, you know, spend day in, day out with these students. And they're calling, you know, Dijon and Prince, the Rebels for Peace, who've only been in for a few weeks teaching this class one hour once a week. And they're like, can you come fix this? And and they did. And it was really cool because it really showed the, the rapport that they had built with the young people and the way that they had connected what they were teaching, but more so who they were as people had connected with who those kids were as people. And I think that's why they were able to to really solve the problem. I got I got tingles as you were telling that story, Mara, because it's you told your story at the beginning of the podcast about, you know, you having this realization, you know, I sort of imagine you sitting under a tree in California, you know, having this realization that, you know, the way we're solving mental health is not the way to solve mental health. You know, that idea came to you. And then you kind of followed life in that path of that unfolding to go through a a sort of a series of different existences to then, you know, touch a number of different lives that then create something in someone else that they then create, uh, you know, this belief in themselves as a generative leader. You know, Dajon is generating smiles in his community that then leads to, you know, an act of violence being avoided in a, in a middle school. You know, it's like, it's just so beautiful to be able to connect all those dots that life connected. It wasn't, it wasn't Mara, it wasn't Eddie, it wasn't, you know, the environment, it wasn't the surroundings. It was, it was life that serendipitously was so intelligent to, create those outcomes. I totally see that. And I think that's, you know, even going through, like, I hate the phrase, everything happens for a reason, just because it's one of those that gets overused. And often at times where you least want to hear it, you know, <laughs> like read the room. No one wants to hear that right now. <laughs> like, so I wouldn't say it in that way, but I, I do feel like what you said is that that generative force that's living life through me is living life through me. I am not manipulating it. I am not holding, gripping the steering wheel, making it turn right when it turns right or left when it, you know? And so it's, it's really, in a way, it's just very comforting to know that you have this like insane partner in life, not just partner like, oh, I found a good husband or, oh, I got a great business partner, but like you have the life force 
holding your hand through this crazy experience called life, even in the times. And that's what's been amazing to me is it's been the hardest times where I've really felt it. I'm like, oh, okay, there it is. Like I shared about the, the few months after we lost Vanessa and the kids was like, that was the most held I had ever felt, the most carried I've ever felt because I actually let myself feel it. I didn't distract myself or overburden myself with all of my normal, noisy, ego-driven kind of distracted crap. But that's all, in my experience, it's, it's all just life reminding you and then reminding you again and then reminding you sometimes in really big, brutal ways, but really reminding you that she's got your back and there's more to this than what our personal smaller minds can see in any given moment. And I think that, my dear, is the place that we should stop for today. Although, you know, I'd love to have you back and to have another conversation, you know, about the different dimensions of this and, you know. So where can people find out more about what you're doing and, and you know, what you're up to in the world as it gets redefined in this period? Well, so... Our organization's website, which will be getting redefined in the near future, so stay tuned around. But even as is for now, it's still good. I wouldn't um, shy away from sharing it. Is onesolutionglobal.org, and it's spelled out. So O-N-E solutionglobal.org. If you want to learn about our work in Chicago, um, we also have a project in Des Moines, Iowa underway and are um, currently in the process of getting something going with the Office of Gun Violence Prevention in New Orleans. So stay tuned for more info about that. So it's exciting. Like the work is, to your point about the butterfly effect, beginning to reach beyond just the immediate ripples. And we have other cities that are kind of looking at what we're doing and saying, this is interesting and different. Can we try this here? So uh, people can learn about that on the website. And I'm very minimally involved in social media since becoming a mother. (laughs) So I don't, I have LinkedIn. You can find me, uh, I think it's uh, Mara Gleason Olson on LinkedIn. And hopefully uh, you can share these as well, Julia. But um, the last thing I'll say, and, and I do, I will, when my kids are a bit older, write a different book. But I did write a book that I published in 2017 called One Thought Changes Everything, which is an interesting look at that first part of my career and and then the transition to launching a nonprofit focused more on solving persistent global challenges. So, but it's a very personal story as well. And I've read it and it's it's fantastic. And if people want to donate to your work, can they do that on the One Solution Global website too? Yes, there is a donate button on the tab on the top. I think it's the furthest right Um, But there's many different places on the site where you can see the opportunity to donate. And yes, please. Thank you. I appreciate you mentioning that. We are a 501c3 nonprofit here in the US. So we function primarily almost 70% off donations. Or if you're interested in our work and bringing our work to where you are in the world or your town or your community, um, that's something we could explore as well. So people can reach me personally at mara at onesolutionglobal.org. So if you just listened to that conversation with Mara and I, and you heard something in it that was useful to someone else, then please go ahead and share it. You can do that at generativeleaders.org.
www.mara.co. Just reflecting on that conversation with Mara was so energizing. Just reflecting on that capacity that we all have running through us, that aliveness that creates solutions, that creates our well-being, that creates our ability to create It's an amazing, amazing capacity. And the more familiar and intimate that we can get with it and understand how it works, the more, as Mara said, we can get out the way and just let life live through us and guide us by listening to those nudges. There's lots of times when I know for myself that I haven't listened to those nudges. And it's generally not gone well when I haven't. And when I do, things tend to work out better. So how can you cultivate a relationship with those biological signals that you're getting to eat, sleep, take a break, have a rest? Because they're all signals that life is trying to give you. You know, pushing through that one more piece or trying to solve that one more thing or send that one more email isn't going to get the answers. So perhaps slow down, take a breath, take a minute and let life unfold the answers for you. How many times have you been grappling with a problem and then you go to sleep and the next morning you wake up and it's so clear to you. Or you go and take a shower and something suddenly drops. Well, if you've had those experiences, then perhaps it's trying to nudge you to tell you that you don't have to come up with all the answers. You don't have to know everything. You can take a breath and allow the intelligence of life to come through you. I hope you've enjoyed listening and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Generative Leaders.